Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of Opera After Dark. I'm going on the record again saying that I'm morally opposed to what's about to happen. Now that we have that out of the way... What are we doing today, everyone, who's outvoted me in this? Well, as you, our listeners know, last week we started with exploring Wagner and the world of the ring cycle. Wagner sucks. Elspeth hates him with all of her heart and soul. If you want to hear more about it, listen to last week's episode, number 89. You will hear all about why and she has very good reasons why but since it's such a popular part of the operatic canon we thought we can't really get away with having an opera podcast without eventually talking about the ring cycle totally so get ready folks that's what we're doing tonight today tonight this afternoon this morning we're talking about <laughs> the first opera in the ring cycle das Rheingold, and this is the last he wrote the libretto for this one last right no he no. wrote the libretto Oh, I think he wrote the libretto first, then he, how did he do it? He wrote the music last. He wrote the libretto in kind of reverse order, so he started towards the end of the ring cycle and worked his way backwards towards the beginning, writing the text or the story, and then once he had the whole story mapped out, then he started at the beginning of the cycle composing the music and composed chronologically. Interesting. More or less. So, right, this is the last... The last thing he wrote the text for. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The first music that he wrote, aside from some earlier things that he wrote before he even knew he was writing the cycle that eventually made it into the cycle. But he actually (laughs) started composing the cycle of the cycle. Yes. He started composing, intentionally crafting the ring cycle, the music with Das Rheingold. Nice. We should talk a little bit about the ring generally i feel like we didn't do a ton of that in last episode we just did a very quick overview well we talked a lot about wagner and terms and ideas that were really important when writing the ring cycle like leitmotif and gesamtkunstwerk and his kind of general ideas about composing opera but we didn't really explain i don't think exactly what the ring cycle is and what to expect so do you want like a little brief uh broad strokes introduction that would be great i want none of this <laughs> i shouldn't look at you when i ask do no you don't ask me directly because i'm just gonna respond um the ring cycle i would say is his magnum opus mm-hmm. tolkien's lord of the rings 
J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter, Faulkner's Ring Cycle. Right. I mean, yes, a massive but, but thing. It, I feel like it is probably the most epic undertaking in the opera world. I think we could say that fairly. The, the pinnacle of his career. Yes, I think that's definitely fair. It is a huge undertaking. It's certainly the largest cycle of operas or connected operas in the repertory. Oh, definitely. I can't think of anything that's so intentionally connected that was written by one composer. I mean, you could think of like the Beaumarchais trilogy, but that was a bunch of different composers who wrote like the continuing story of certain characters. Right. Yeah. Um, even I can't think of anything else that was written by one composer. Like Donizetti, Tudor like Queens, saga but of, those were different. Me, kind of. And I don't think he really like intentionally composed them to be performed as some kind of triptych or no. cycle yeah. or anything like that. Exactly. He just had an interest in it, and it so happened that he ended up writing multiple operas I mean, on those historical periods. Mm-hmm. Sure. And Puccini, you know, did he intend the Tritico to be performed? Yes. As a unit? He did. He did, he did yes. but those that those are not connecting stories. Right. They have, like, vague themes that are connecting them, but they don't involve the same people. And they're each only an hour right. long. Same period of time. Whereas each of the operas yes. of the Ring These Cycle are, not are super long. Many hours long. So we're talking about the first one, Das Rheingold today, which is the shortest one, which is how long? It's like two and a half hours. No intermission. Right, two and a half hours, no intermission. And that's a short one. So know what you're getting into, people. It's funny... Yes. The last time I went to a performance of Das Rheingold, there were signs when you were going into the hall that said... That were like, you can't be yeah. now because you can't be in the Basically, there is going to be a, a two and a half hour period where there will be, not be a convenient point for you to take a pee. Basically. Right. And not so many Go words. Go to the bathroom now because you can't leave. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Although, I mean, people are used to doing that in a in a movie. Like if you go to an Avengers movie... Or can Lord I just say movie? that Avengers Endgame is apparently over three hours long? Right. Wow. See, and people say that there's no attention span for modern audiences. Not true. Just depends on what you're talking well, about. That's a, that's a that's a different thing. Yeah, that's true. It is. <laughs> right? I will say it's different. Yeah. But to assume that somebody can't sit in a theater for three hours, not true. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So back to the ring cycle. Mm-hmm. So the ring cycle, though, is a story. It's four operas. It's four different operas. And it's basically, it takes these uh, stories from, like, Norse mythology. Yes. Correct? Norse mythology and is we, the primary source. Do we know why Wagner was so, like, gung-ho? Was well, just, like, super Aryan? He did spend time in that part of Europe, like he worked in the northern part of Europe, and mm-hmm. so he probably would have come into contact with some of the like published collections of these stories. And I honestly think that it was just he came into contact with the legends, he was inspired by the characters. They're extremely dramatic stories, mm-hmm. and there's also opportunity to explore and kind of ply the depths of why the characters act the way they do. And he also was very into, like, philosophy and ideology. He read a ton of Schopenhauer. And who he hasn't? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was really, really interested in kind of, like, the motivations of mankind and, like, the, the tension between good and evil. And I read one thing that said that basically... Uh, what Wagner was unable to achieve in his own life in terms of, of goodness, he achieved through 
his opera characters. And so, hmm. like, ideals that he upheld that he couldn't quite bring into practice or into being in his own life, he kind of lived vicariously through his characters. I mean, who knows if that's really what he was doing. But I think that he he felt that the characters and the possibilities for interconnected stories were so numerous in this mythology that he could kind of mold it and shape it to his own idea. And... It was very fantastical and magical. So if you're, you know, setting things in kind of a made up world where there's gods and mortals and mortals that are not humans, but also humans, right, Mm -hmm. then you kind of can rewrite the rules of what's allowed and what's not allowed, what happens, what doesn't happen, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I feel like... But the struggle between, like, good and evil or the idea of, um, like, something in the world that he created in these operas holding immense amounts of power i think was an interesting theme for him and the idea that that the the thirst or lust for power was a corrupting force is something that is certainly evident because that is what like the ring represents or people have argued that the ring this gold ring that for whoever holds it gives you like power to rule the world the one rule the one ring to rule them all one ring to rule right. them all yes Oh my god. It corrupts everybody who touches it. And so oh I think he was really interested in that particular theme and how people's desire and lust for power makes them do crazy things as we're going to find out. What? I feel like there's several uh comparisons and we probably will have to do a whole separate episode on this, but several comparisons between the ring cycle and the lord of the rings that we all know even if it's just little elements that stick out yes there are certainly um i would say common themes and probably in some cases common source material that was a point of inspiration although tolkien and wagner definitely went in different directions (laughs) they did tolkien did a better job (laughs) right i was watching and we'll have to talk about this a little bit more next week or in the in the next episode at least uh but mm-hmm. in watching the recent d valkyrie uh met hd broadcast i was interested mm-hmm. to see there was one point where they were talking about one of the giants who was currently in possession of the ring and mm-hmm. they said that he like had gone into the woods and had turned into a dragon in order yeah. In order to protect the ring. And I thought, oh, that's he is smog. That's sounding very smoggy. Like very Lord of the Rings esque. Yes. Well, smog is not the Lord of the Rings. Smog is the hobbit. You know it's the same world. <laughs> okay, let's save this discussion for next week when it will become or next episode. Right. When it actually applies to the opera we're talking All about. All right, let's just fucking do this. Let's talk about the first one. All right. <laughs> that's Ryan Gold. The Dust Rhine gold. gold. The so, Rhine is a river. The Rhine is a river. And Das Rheingold was actually conceived by Wagner as being like the prelude or the prologue to the actual story. <laughs> a two and a half hour prologue. Yes. And so that's partially why it's two and a half hours long without a break, because he didn't really conceive it as being like its own individual or separate um, opera with oh. separate acts he thought it would just be like this long prelude toward the actual beginning of but the story but didn't you say last week that when these four were written the first two were premiered 
on their own, and then the last two were perform- premiered consecutively, which is how he wanted it. Yes, so Das Rheingold and Die Valkyra were performed kind of standalone as soon as they were finished, mm-hmm. and then Siegfried and Goddamerung, which are the last two, the first time they were ever performed was within the context of the whole cycle, so all four right. operas. Um, but still within his like vision for the cycle, Das Rheingold is like the the pre-story to the main story. He's giving you the background so that you understand why things happen the way they do in the rest of the operas. Mm-hmm. Doesn't this whole thing start because Wotan, King of the Gods, the Odins, if you are into like Thor Avengers lore. Um, same guy, bas- I mean, basically. Same, same guy, different, yes, different same name. guy. So Anthony Hopkins <laughs> decides that he, he wants to build himself a fantastical castle, right? But sort of. He doesn't well, really have the money. Right, but you're you're missing the first Why part. are you letting me do this? Because I've okay. never seen these. <laughs> okay, okay. So when we begin, the most important thing that Wagner did in the beginning was kind of musically form the world of the ring. And so mm-hmm. the way he does that does this is with the prelude for Das Rheingold, which is uh, basically like a tonic triad, just a major chord that and you kind of feel and hear the, the river flowing in the orchestra and Wait. then it slowly builds and builds and builds and builds. Let's listen to that. He he paints the picture of the Rhine River, and a lot of scholars talk about this as kind of the formation of the world of the Ring Cycle. Oh. And then the first characters that we hear sing are the Rhine Maidens. So these are like mythical, magical creatures Mermaid. that live in the Rhine River. And they actually have names, Voglinda, Velgunda, and Flosshilda. Nice. And yes, when the opera prelude is done, it kind of leads seamlessly into the scene where they're splashing and playing in the water. And we learn that in the Rhine River, there is this magical gold and the three of them guard this gold. They're kind of charged with making sure that nobody touches it. And it so happens that as they're splashing around playing in the river, there's this uh, Nibel- Nibelungen dwarf. 
Um, his name is Alberic, and he kind of comes out out of the depths of the earth where the Nibeljungen live, mm-hmm. and he's very taken by these sassy Rhine maiden ladies, and he's like, ladies, Rhine. Well, they're not really human. They're, they're fish like, women. No, they're fish women. You know. Hey, fish women! Like you're real good looking. I like you guys. Like, <gasps> let's get it on, basically. <laughs> And they're like, we're not going to do that. No, no, no. And they kind of chastise him and put him down and say, like, no one wants to be with you, you ugly Nibeljungen. Ouch. And this, of course, cuts real deep with Alberic. Sure, of course. He becomes very jaded very quickly. (laughs) And then a ray of sunshine beams down onto the water. And all of a sudden, there's this glittering coming from the depths of the river. And Alberic's like, ooh, what is that shiny thing? And the Rhine maidens say, oh, that's the magical Rhine gold, the gold that's at the bottom of the river. We're supposed to guard it. And they said, nobody's supposed to touch it. And not only is no one supposed to touch it, but there's only a very particular kind of being that is actually able to get their hands on this gold. And Alberic's like, oh, really? What kind of being is that? And they're like, whoever has or steals this gold from the river will have to renounce love and basically turn their back on love and yes and so they think that they say this kind of freely without thinking because in their minds alberic is you know never going to renounce love because he's made all these kind of lustful advances towards them Mm -hmm. they obviously confuse lust and love Mm -hmm. and (laughs) so they kind of thoughtlessly share this secret of the gold in the Rhine River and Alberic is like ha ha you think no one could renounce love I will renounce love and I will steal this gold and so he actually steals <laughs> the gold from the Rhine maidens and then so that scene ends with them basically wailing and lamenting the fact that their gold has been stolen well, it's and their own damn fault and the whole thing is then like screaming in dismay at the end because this, of course, sets the whole plot into motion. It's kind of like, I guess, an equivalent to this in like biblical tales is like when when Eve eats the apple. It's like this is what brings kind of evil into the world because the gold is no longer in its kind of rightful place mm-hmm. in the Rhine River. Cut to. Cut to Votan. Mm. So Alberic has stolen the gold. Anthony Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins, our Odin character. (laughs) He is asleep on a mountaintop. We see, or we are supposed to see behind him, this magnificent, magical, beautiful castle. And his wife, Fricka, wakes him up. And uh, she basically says to him, uh, just remember that uh, you made a promise to these giants named Fossolt and Fafner. Mm. Because they were the ones who actually built the castle. And Votan made this vow with them that if they built the castle for him, he would pay them by giving them Fricka's sister, Freya, as payment. Oh, oh right. right. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. cool. He didn't ask her if that was... <laughs> no. No, 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 not no, at no. all. Just no, trading no, women no. is property. And so are these, cool. Cool. are these giant brothers who are down with just sharing a woman? <laughs> that's not really clear. Hey, you don't know... I'm just trying to parcel, unpack it from all yeah, sides, Yeah, you don't know about right? giant right. culture, okay? I, right? You're right. I, I 100% do not. We, we don't know if this was destined to be like... If they all share sister wives. If they share... Or sister, if they're a sister husband to a single sister wife. Husband, yeah, I'm not sure. A lot of questions. Okay, right? go on. Um, but 
Votan, of course, in his infinite not wisdom, promised the giants that if they built the castle, he would give them Freya as their payment. Mm -hmm. Freya had no say in this. Fricka, who is Votan's wife, is furious because she's like, how can you just, like, give my sister away like that? And furthermore, um, it's kind of complicated because Freya is the goddess of youth and beauty. And she has these, like, magical apples that as long as they have these magical apples in this you know, godly kingdom, they can all eat the apples and the gods can stay young forever. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? But if Fricka le or sorry, if Freya leaves, she's not going to be there to keep replenishing the magic youth apples. And so what's going to happen to the gods? They might actually age. Oh, so no. Votan's an idiot. I love that so Votan- Freya has like the ultimate catchphrase just built in. How about them apples? Yeah, she does. <laughs> How do you like them apples? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad yeah. that you were picking up what I was putting down. Yeah, anytime, yeah. friend. <laughs> so, so Fricka, wife of Votan, is very worried about the fate of her sister, the Freya. Rene Russo to Anthony Hopkins. Oh gosh, <laughs> I just saw this recently on a on a plane. Calm down, everyone. Okay, so. Uh, Votan, though, is confident that this is not going to be an issue because he said, don't worry, I'm not really going to give Freya to the giants. Oh, it's going to go down so well. (laughs) Right? He's like, I'm going to find another way to pay them. But does he know what that is yet? Well, Fricka says to him, oh, really? What's what's this alternate form of payment? A valid question. And he says, I don't know, but I'm going to enlist the help of this demigod, Loga, and Loga is the god of fire, or the demigod of fire. He's like, not as powerful as the other, as the full-fledged gods, but he's got some, you know, fire's a powerful thing, so he's got mm-hmm. something. And so Votan's like, Loga is smart and he's got fire, so I'm going to ask Loga to help me figure this out so that I don't actually have to give Freya up. And then Freya enters in a panic and she's actually being pursued by Fossult and Fafner and they basically confront Votan and they're like, it's time to pay up, dude. Give mm-hmm. us Freya. Because um, your castle's built, so, you know, we need our payment. And Votan is the god of war. He's also the god of treaties and oaths <laughs> and vows. It's very and inconvenient. So, Makes sense. Very inconvenient because every vow or agreement he's ever made gets carved into his spear. And so that's kind of the source of his power as, like, the ultimate god of all the gods is that he continues to actually live by the vows and agreements that he's made right and so the contract with the giants is carved into his spear so he can't back out on it really and so um donner the god of thunder and then fro the god of sunshine they arrive to try and uh defend freya prevent her from being given over to the giants the weather gods the weather gods are trying to protect her um but votan can't really allow anyone to use force to prevent this from happening because he has to follow through on this vow right so what a fucking it did he have a plan obviously not his whole plan hinged on loga who's like taking forever to show up Mm -hmm. and it's very unclear if loga's actually wants to help Votan. Right. Like, Votan's just sort of hoping that Loga will actually help him find a solution. Um, Not great management. Right. So Votan tries to stall. He, like, 
Mm-hmm. Draws things out to try and prevent the giants from taking Freya. And finally, Loga arrives and... Votan's like, okay, so buddy, I need you to help me figure out a plan so that I don't have to give up my wife's sister to these giants. And Loga's like, well, I'm not really sure what to do. And he says to him, you know, nothing is more valuable to you people than love. So there's literally no possible alternative of payment for Freya. And he's like, Um, because you have to find a person who's willing to give up love in order to, like, offer something even more valuable in Freya, right? Because I guess the giants love slash lust after her, Mm -hmm. right? So he's like, you have to find something even better than their desire for Freya. Is it gold? Is it gold? (laughs) I love gold. (laughs) I love gold. So he says, I'm not sure that this is going to work. This is Loga. But he's like, I've heard of this guy. This guy that was willing to renounce love for something else. What? His name is Alberich, and he says that he's a Nibeljungen, and he has renounced love and stolen the Rheingold, and he's actually made a ring. He's forged a ring out of the gold. The one ring to rule them all. That one ring to rule them all <laughs> uh, gives ultimate power to whoever wears it. Wait, so is Alberich the golem of this? He is like the golem <laughs> of this. I'm just all right. I'm. I'm wait, here. wait, I'm but he's also yes. the one that made the one ring. Yeah, he did make the ring too. Who made the ring? Saruman. Oh right. So but he's Albrecht's like two characters evil. like conflated into one. Not as evil. I actually had this theory Saruman, right? when I was just watching mm-hmm. Valkyrie that there was like a matching of syllable names in between mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings and the ring <laughs> and like alberic three syllables saruman three syllables votan okay the, the closest i had with votan it was in well i will have to talk about this next week but it was in ta- is votan gandalf yes gandalf and that he right. came and he hmm. he arrived to siglinda uh wearing all gray with a hat that kind of covered mm-hmm. one of his eyes and like he's like helping people out so a little bit gandalf like uh oh and then also brunhilda who's like this like warrior princess type mm-hmm. uh, brunhilda mm-hmm. aowen in lord of the rings i mean it's probably a stretch but you know i'll allow it <laughs> we'll, yeah we'll we'll revisit that next week right. because i think that when we talk about brunhilda we can dive into this a bit yeah. more i mean i would watch a film version of the ring cycle if they filmed it in New Zealand. Okay. I mean, you basically already have, but. Right. But like the actual yeah. opera, I, w- I would watch that just because New Zealand's world party. Yeah. It would be beautiful. So anyway, carry on. I'm okay, sorry. So back, so back so to where Lo- we are in the story. Loga so. is, is like, Hey, there's a dude who's renounced love and he's got something that might be better. He's got, He's got gold. Gold, and it's super powerful. And he's, he's got the one ring to rule the He's wrong. made a ring out of it. And, of course, they discuss all of this, Loga and Votan, within earshot of the giants. <laughs> right. And the giants, like, interrupt, and they're like, so, hey. Because Votan's mm, smart. We're very interested in this gold, in this mm-hmm. ring. And so they say to him, uh, basically, we'll make you an offer, the giants say. 
if you can get the treasure, that gold, from Alberic and the Nebel youngins and give it to us, we will not take Freya. So basically, we will accept this magical gold as an alternative payment to Freya, who we are going to Well, get. that worked right. out. Vote. Well, sort of. Because... Did it? There are three more operas, so <laughs> did it? Right. So Votan uh, tries to kind of bargain with them, kind of to... Because he has, now that he's aware of the gold, like, a part of him wants the gold himself. Right. Right? And so he doesn't really want to give it all to the giants. But the giants are like, nope, give us all of the gold and you can keep Freya. But we're going to keep her and hold her hostage until you give us this alternate alternate form of payment. Of course. And they take Freya with them as their hostage and they say, we'll return her. What? Basically, she's ransom for this gold that we now want. And... Freya's golden apples that have kept all of the gods young forever, once the giants take her away, um, all the gods begin to start aging and weaken because Freya is not there to keep the magic of the apples. Oh, no. Someone didn't think about this. Right. So Votan's like, okay, everyone, we got to get moving and we got to go get this gold. Mm -hmm. Right. So Loga's like, all right, um, we have to go to Alberic to try and steal the gold. And so Votan's like, great, I'll go with you. And um, the rest of the gods kind of like go into the castle to Valhalla while Loga's kind of thinking about how he's going to go and get this gold from Alberic. I don't know if we already mentioned this, but Loga is Loki for those that are familiar with the Avengers. So like not somebody that you can totally is trust. He? Oh, he definitely yes, is. He's kind of... Yeah, and it's very unclear in the music, in the libretto, like if he's actually on the side of the gods or if he has ulterior motives <gasps> he's the god of for helping Votan, right? He's the god of fire. He's a wily one. It's hard to know right. what his true intentions are. Okay. Just like in All the right. Avengers so when then, he does something and you're like, are you trying to help me? I love that we're doing this. Is Thor in this? Who is Thor? God of Thunder? Yeah. Yes. Donner was god of thunder. But he made like a brief appearance oh, no. trying Thor, to protect Freya. Is Thor, maybe it's, it's Thor's really. god of lightning. He's the god of thunder. Oh, he is. Okay, then yeah, it's Donner. That's Thor. Yeah. But he's also, never mind, doesn't matter. Go on. All right, so. Uh. <laughs> now we move to Nibelheim, the kingdom, the kind of subterranean realm of the Nibelungans. Of the dwarves. The dwarves. And... Alberic, who is now super powerful because he stole all the gold, he's actually enslaved his own kind. And is he wearing the one ring to rule them all? He's wearing the the one ring, mm -hmm. and he's actually forced his brother Mima, who is a very skilled metalsmith, uh, to not only has he made the magic ring, but what has he made? Alberic's like, this gold's real powerful, so I want you to make me a magic hat. <laughs> magic hat! <laughs> and what's it called? It's called the Tarn Helm. The Tarn Helm. Uh, yes. So, sitting here with my magic the, ring and my magic, magic hat. hat. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so Alberic is like, all right, now I have this ring. I'm going to demonstrate the power of my new magic hat, the Tarn Helm. <laughs> and so it, I love how you're, you're not calling it like a helmet. You're not calling it a crown. You're like, it's his magic hat. <laughs> it's his magic hat. <laughs> so, so he puts on the Tarn Helm. And his, his magic hat. His magic hat. <laughs> uh -huh. And as soon as it's on, he becomes invisible. Oh, that's oh, convenient. So it's like the cloak in Harry Potter. 
I guess so. I'm just going to bring in as many. Well, right, I mean, a closer I connection is in the Lord of the Rings. When you put on the ring, you turn invisible. <gasps> You're yes. right, Kyle. You're right. I'm sorry. So, it's, But it's kind of conflating a magic ring and a magic hat right. together. The magic hat. The magic hat. Yeah. 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 But the Tarnhelm, <laughs> the Tarnhelm has more powers than just turning the person wearing it to being invisible. Is it a naturally long age? Out. Oh. No, we'll find out. Okay, we'll find fair out. Enough. So, so Alberic says this hat is great because now I can torment all my subjects. Oh, and after Alberic has kind of, in his element, <laughs> kind of reveling in all the magic and power, I'm invisible. Right? Then Votan and Loga arrive, and the first person they encounter is Mima, and they're like, "Mima, buddy, what's going on?" And he says. You know, my brother Alberic, he's like now super powerful and all of his power's gone to his head. And like you don't want to go in there right now. He's like, look at all these slaves. They're they're like doing stuff with the gold. And then um but then Mima says, But you know what? I have a plan. Why he's talking to complete strangers about this, I don't know. Mima does not have people to talk to in his life. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh. apparently Votan and Logo were the first person to show him Mima needs a friend. Any kind of friendship. Yes. And so Mima says you know, I think I'm going to try to steal all this stuff from Alberic because clearly that will bring me happiness. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so he says to them, I might be playing along right now, but I have a plan to take power by stealing the ring and the magic hat. (laughs) And so, so Loga and Votan, knowing that Mima has this plan to kind of overthrow his own brother, they go to Alberic and they say to Alberic, like, you've got all this power, buddy. How do you plan to, like, protect yourself? And Reasonable question. Alberic says, well, d- well, don't worry. My magic hat will keep me, <laughs> you know, hidden from people. And not, not only will it make me invisible, but I can change form into whatever form I want. What? Yeah. So it's What like a, doesn't this hat do? Right. It's like a shape-shifting hat. Mm. And so uh, then Loga says, Noise. I don't know. That seems like a stretch. Like, is that hat really that powerful? Right? And is Loga like, can that hat turn you into a cockroach? Basically, yes. What a fucking dumbass. He's like, hey, Albrecht, can that hat <laughs> transform you into something? Like, show me what it can do. Can it and make then, you into something soups tiny? Well, Albrecht is first like, look, I can turn myself into a giant snake. And so he does it. And then Loga's like, impressive. But uh, can you actually reduce yourself in size? Like, you've shown me how big you can get as this giant snake. Can you be, like, really, really tiny so that you can hide in the blink of an eye? You know, something like a frog or a toad. (laughs) And Albrecht's, yeah, no problem. Let me show you. Puts on the hat, turns himself into a toad. And then basically, as soon as he's a toad, Votan and Loga capture him. They're like, ha ha, got you. And they drag him up to the surface. Dang, what a dumbass. So they've captured Alberic. What a dumbass. Right. Now they're back on the mountaintop, um, back in Valhalla area. And Votan and Loga basically force Alberic, who they've captured in toad form, to exchange his wealth for freedom. So they're like, if you don't give up the magic hat, the term helm, <laughs> the ring... And all of the gold that you stole from the Rhine, then we're going to keep you enslaved as a toad forever. Oh, I man. have a question. I don't know if you can answer this. So he puts on his magic hat um, and he becomes a giant snake, right? And then he takes it off and becomes himself again? 
No, I think I think he has to keep the hat on the whole time. Okay. So like so a then, snake wears a hat and right. then... <laughs> so then he becomes a he becomes a, a tiny frog and wearing a tiny tarnhelm hat. The magic hat becomes tiny to fit his body. That's my question. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh my. Cool. It's cool, a cool, tiny cool. frog with a magic hat. It's a tiny little magic hat with a <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I, I would imagine that there's room for an interpretation depending on the production of the opera. But you, you so. don't imagine one that's like, it's <laughs> <laughs> just like, what are those hats that they have at football games that have like the beer holders on either side? You can just drink straight. Yeah, I don't them? know that there's a name. That, that's Maybe what just I a think beer hat. of when I think of, of magic hat. What? Magic hat. <laughs> You're be, you're picturing. You're thinking of putting like magic hat beer in a hat that feeds you. No, you beer? just put it on, and then you start sucking on it, and you become any size that you want. Okay. <laughs> Come up, look, look. No, 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 no. Because what actually happens in the opera is just as fucking ludicrous. That's oh, true. yes. So don't come at me that that's a dumb suggestion. I'm thinking. it's not. It's I'm great. I'm thinking that it looks like one of the like Viking helmets that everybody always wears to the ring. Or like a cheese hat. <laughs> a cheese hat, yes. You're t- wow, you're really going heavy on the sports references, like a Packers cheese well, hat. Well, I feel like we're doing it with a, a very Midwestern accent. <laughs> it's oh, it's already like, the plot is nuts. It's bananas. Yeah, so if it's the shape of like a slice of Swiss cheese, That's my Wisconsin it. accent. Magic hat. Magic hat. Look, if they did that, I would find this opera a little entertaining. I mean, the I cheese mean, head is gold, fine. so. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. You just made somebody yeah. in Wisconsin ext- extremely happy. Very yeah. happy. Yes. Or really angry. Probably more so we happy. No offense. We're just running with it. We're running right. with it. Anyway, so Albert okay. is a tiny frog. He's a tiny frog. They bring him back up to the surface. They bring him up to. Right, right. Votan's realm. I'm assuming that he changes himself like back into the form of Alberic, even though a Nibelungen form, even though he's still hostage, he's held captive, right? Okay. And okay, so Alberic wants to be free. He doesn't want to be Votan's slave or you know prisoner. So he's like, all right, Nibelungen, like bring up all of the gold, give it to Votan. Like I want to, I'm going to give it up for my freedom, and. Then he asks them, I guess after he's changed himself back into Alberic, while he's imprisoned in chains, they take the magic hat from him. And they're like, now he can't change himself into something else that's more threatening. And so Loga and Wotan have the Tarnhelm, and Alberic orders all of the Nibelungen dwarves to bring the gold up to them. And... He says to them, like, I'll give you everything, but can you at least let me keep the hat? <laughs> and Loga's like, absolutely not. No, you can't have the fucking no. hat. <laughs> no. And then he says, well, what about this ring that I'm wearing? I really, really want to keep the ring. And Votan's like, no way, dude. Give me that ring. Uh, you got to give it all. You have to." And Votan actually tears it off of his finger because <gasps> Alberic doesn't Ouch. want to give it up. The one ring to rule yeah. them all. And he tears it off of Votan's finger and he puts it on his own finger, which of course means that he's now like under the power, the corrupting power of the ring. Of the Rheingold. So Alberic is so angry that the ring has been stolen from him. He's ringless. He's ringless. Hatless. (laughs) Ringless, hatless, but not a toad. 
But he's no longer wow, a toad. Are, no longer well, a that's toad. good. Right. But he's so crushed by the loss of the ring that his precious, if you will, <laughs> that he says to Votan, he's like, I curse you and I curse anyone who touches this ring. Oh, shit. Yeah. And he says, whoever is holding this ring, that's not me, is going to live in anxiety and fear for the rest of their life until they are killed by someone else who wants this ring. Dang. Welcome to adulthood, friend. <laughs> live in anxiety and fear for your adult life? Yes. Right. <laughs> Welcome to the world. There you go. So then... Uh, the gods reconvene. Alberic goes away somewhere. The gods reconvene, and the giants, Fossilt and Fafna, return with Freya, because they're like, hey, we hear you have the gold, so here's Freya. Give us the gold, and we'll call it an even trade. And Fossilt, one of the giants, is kind of reluctant to release her, because he wants proof that the gods are giving him all of the gold. Mm-hmm. Right? And so he's like, I want you to stack up all of this gold all around Freya so that I can see it all before we actually do this trade. So Votan's like, all right, everyone, stack it up. And he's stacking everything up. And then Fossilt and Fafner look at it and they're like, hmm, interesting. It's almost all there, but there's this tiny little hole about the size of a ring that seems to be missing. Classic. And then they look over and they see the ring on Votan's finger. And Loga's like, what are you talking about? There's no more gold. Like, it's all here. What? And they're like, no, no, no. The rest of this gold is on Votan's finger. Put that on the pile. We said everything. Right? And Votan's like, oh, but I don't want to give it up. And <laughs> then Loga precious. says, no, don't make him give it up because it belongs to the Rhine Maidens. We should just give it back to them. And then Votan's like, what are you talking about? I'm not giving it back to the Rhine Maidens. It's mine. Mm. And Selfish. then the giants seize Freya and they start to leave because they're like, all right, you're not going to give us everything. Deal's off. We're taking her back with us. And right as they're trying to leave with her, Erda, the earth goddess, oh, right. appears out of nowhere. And she basically says to Votan, buddy, Give up that ring. If you don't do this, something bad is going to happen. And Votan is kind of troubled and the giants get called back and he's like, all right, I'm going to surrender the ring. I'm going to do this. So he listens to Erda. He puts the ring on the pile. The giants release Freya. They One of them puts it on their own finger. They start dividing the treasure, but they start the two giants but they start quarreling over who gets the ring, mm-hmm. all right? Even though they've got all of the magic <laughs> oh, gold. No. One of They start fighting over the ring. And it becomes so bad that Fafner ends up clubbing Fossilt to death. Oh, Fafner. Yeah. I don't have to so say it. one of the giants... I know I don't have to point it out to everybody, but doesn't this sound a little bit like Smeagol and Deagle? Lord of the Rings? Oh, no, Deagle. Smeagol strangles Deagle in cold blood so he can get that ring. That one ring. One ring to rule Same with Fawful and well, That's Fafner. exactly what happens. No, Fossil. Fossil. And, f- and Fafner. Fossil and Fafner. <laughs> Say go. that ten times that's fast. It. Exactly. Yes. Well. So the giants, or so one of the giants has now been clubbed to death. Fafner is the one who remains. He then 
uh, basically takes the ring, puts it on his finger, takes the gold, and Votan, watching all of this unfold, is like, oh no, Alberic's <laughs> curse is for reals. Why are they all talking like this? Like, they're from Wisconsin. It's like, oh no. Oh, no. This is when Madison like Opera does the ring. Fargo. <laughs> Madison Opera, the ring of the Nibelungs. Oh no. Right. Oh no. Or maybe that's more of Minnesota <laughs> so then, Opera. I don't, Minnesota. yeah, I don't, Minnesota, I don't I know. know. Some people, I'm some sorry, people are listening to this and they are angry right now. Like, what the they're, fuck? I'm yeah. so sorry. Here, finish this off. We had a me. whole bottle of rosé. <laughs> they're like, oh no, I, 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 I don't it. talk like that, you know? You betcha <laughs> that I talk way different than that. Finish, just finish the opera. <laughs> okay. So, I have something insightful to say. Finish the opera. All right. Votan's horrified. So what do we do to clear the air of all of this? Close the curtain. Nonsense. Not quite. Thor slash Donner yes. shows up. Hey! And he's like, thunderstorm. Distract everybody. <laughs> thunderstorm. Right? And he's like, this will, this will calm everybody down or at least distract them for a little while. And then Fro's like, thunderstorm rainbow i'm the god of sunshine here's a rainbow and, what? and then he's like i'm going to make this rainbow stretch all the way from where we are right now oh, no it's the rainbow bridge to the valhalla castle right and then so he does this and then votan's like quick everybody over the bridge into the castle we'll be safe there right and he says i name this castle valhalla and Loga's watching them all, like, walk over the Rainbow Bridge to the Valhalla. And he's like, hmm, I don't think I'm going to follow you guys. And he kind of turns to the audience and he's like, you know what? These guys think that they can, like, hide in this castle, protected from everything. He says, but I'm the god of fire. And I think that I'm kind of tempted to destroy all of their treacherous ways. Nice. Because they're all now they're all corrupted by desiring the ring. Burn this shit and to then, the ground. So mm-hmm. Yes. And he so, says, I'm like this shit on fire. That's right. But he doesn't do it right then. He's like Because we got three more operas. We have three more operas to go, so we're gonna wait on that. And he's like and he actually says, I think I'll think about this. I'll think about this for a while. Curtain. Not quite. <laughs> then one more thing. As he's like, I think I have to ponder this for some more time. Below, we hear the Rhine Maidens mourning the loss of the gold. And they're basically condemning the gods or kind of also sort of cursing them in their own way, saying you're all false and cowardly and you're all corrupted by this by this ring and by this gold that's actually not yours to have in the first place. Curtain. And bum, curtain. Bum, hey. Two and a half hours later. Oh my god. Oh man. So I wanna I wanna say something about because we're talking about Lord of the Rings a lot and mm-hmm. the ring cycle. Um so both Tolkien and Wagner were influenced by the Norse sagas and the um there was a middle high German epic poem called the Nibelungen Lied. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of this, they both sort of used the same source material. You would think that Tolkien had um was really into Wagner's ring cycle, but apparently he hated it. Oh, really? So, so much so that he downplayed the obvious similarities, and he insisted at one point that both rings were round, but there the resemblance ceased. Dang. Oh. Wow, that's so the, there your you favorite go. thing you've ever read, Elspeth. It kind of is, <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, it's certainly an epic start to our ring cycle. Lots of treachery going on. 
and setting the tone. And people, this is just the prelude just to the, the pre- story. The fucking prelude. Or the prologue. And that took forever. Right, that's true. <laughs> well, it's because you kept comparing it to, <laughs> well, not just you, we all kept comparing it it's to, like, all It's an obvious comparison. I'm right. trying to help people. Imagine what happens. I do think it's very helpful. Imagine when we're talking it's about, helpful. like, a five-hour opera. Oh, boy. God help us all. We'll be doing that next week. <laughs> what a great endorsement. Please tune in to our next what episode. A great endorsement. Please tune in next week where we talk about Di Valcura, which um, if you don't know it, you know it because the most famous thing in an opera ever is in this opera. Yes, the ever-famous Kill the Wabbit sequence <laughs> is from Di Valcura, and we'll listen to it next week, and we'll talk about um, that opera next week. Anyone who hates this, I'm sorry. I hate it, too. Naomi, thank you so much for giving us a full Yay. rundown. Yes, I do appreciate you spearheading excellent. this, Naomi, dear. And thank you, everybody, for listening in. We, of course, love our supportive audience members. If you want to help us out here at the podcast, please go to uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen and give us a rating. Also, you can go to patreon.com slash opera after dark and support us Uh there. In the meantime, we'll be posting lots of fun stuff on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then we'll be back with you next week, as Elspeth said, talking about Di Valcuta. It's going to be good. The story just keeps getting twistier. Yay. Until then, I'm Kyle. I'm Naomi. And I'm Elspeth. Thanks for listening to Opera After Dark. Bye. Bye.